Hey guys, it's Edge Martinez. They call me the voice of New York. And 50 years ago, hip hop started right here in New York City. And we're celebrating the five boroughs all year long. Check out nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop for cultural stories, events, interviews, and more. nyctourism.com forward slash hip hop. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7, well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. How's it going, everyone? This is Tyler Dunn with Go Long at golongtd.com. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Cannot thank you enough for listening to our podcast. Thought we'd do something a little different for this episode. Uh, this is our Go Long happy hour from last Friday night. Doug Whaley joined subscribers on the Zoom, and it was a lot of fun. Shared a lot of stories in the 2014 draft, a couple fans just wandering on into the draft war room. Why not? Uh, talked about Russ Brandon. I got a few of those questions. I'm sure that uh, the Bills fans out there would, would like to know what that was like behind the scenes. Um, it was a lot of fun. I just thought we'd give you another taste for what it's like when you subscribe to go long. And, and this week, our draft extravaganza deal, 25% off. That rounds out to uh, just over five bucks a month or just over 50 bucks. A year when you subscribe, access to all of these Zoom happy hours, every story, profile, feature uh, delivered right to your email inbox. And if you do it right now, Wednesday night, Hamburg Brewing, we're going to have an in-person live hangout, first beer on the house. Should be a lot of fun. Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, we'll then go virtual with the Zoom happy hours, several different guests, including draft prospects uh, from around the country. So I hope. You'll get a lot of bang for your buck and get a hoodie and crew, a hooded sweatshirt or a crew sweatshirt on the house as well when you subscribe annually. Um, let me know if you'd like to join at golongtd at gmail.com or just go to golongtd.com and follow the prompts and hope to uh, have you join our community. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Here's Doug Whaley. Great to have you. I'm sorry it's been so long. The people have spoken. They wanted some Doug Whaley in their lives. I feel like your name has come up on this happy hour every week, and people love the stories. They, you know, they just love seeing what it's really like this time of year. I'm blaming on COVID. They they've run out of other things to watch. They've went through all of Netflix. They've probably come to the end of the internet. So they're like, uh, I might as well bring Doug back. Went through the Tiger King. So yeah, yeah. Exactly. Doug, no dr- Doug, no drink. I just pulled in. I haven't had a chance uh, to get anything to drink. I'm at uh, the in-laws in DC and upstairs, so we just parked. So that's commitment right there, man. Travel just got into DC and he's he's already making time. You just got there and you're and you're hopping just got, on this. 
Yeah, I just dropped it, dropped the bags, and I, I I didn't know what the Wi-Fi was, so I had to make sure to get that. I didn't know because my sister and brother-in-law are out, so I had to make sure they we got back in time. So I was like, I might be a little late. Oh my god! Well, thanks so much for making time. Um, like you, you guys have heard Doug on the podcast, I'm sure, and just unbelievable stories, unbelievable football mind. You know, some some great times here in Buffalo. The ten years in Pittsburgh before that, so. Um, I'm sure people would just love to know, Doug, what you're up to in life today. And then we'll just kind of open it up. Like we always do guys, just ask whatever you want. Uh, right now I'm, uh, working on a, an investment vehicle to, uh, look into purchase some, some sports teams, uh, with a focus on European soccer. So just got off a call and hopefully we have a target in mind and hopefully be able to put a offer in by the end of, uh, May. So doing that. And then obviously, hanging out with some media personnel's personnel people i was on tiki and tyranny i'm there probably at least once every two three weeks and some doug gottley show so maybe make that switch and then who knows what's going to happen after this draft there was a lot of movement in the nfl so we'll see what happens after that so got a lot of balls in the air and just trying to enjoy life while we can good for you man i mean like you and jim know that's kind of when the moving and shaking happens mm-hmm. with front offices it's like it's yeah. we I, I didn't really know how that timing worked but that's how it works with the calendar like after the draft there might be openings that kind of stuff so i, I got a good topic to, for you two that now that we've got since it's been a while and uh since i've started mm-hmm. to get into the european football scene that big super league uh mm-hmm. conversation so mm-hmm. what do you guys think of this and this is i think it's a great idea myself an NCAA Super League, you have about 16, the top 16 teams they play, but you let 20 in. And the bottom four of the league that year get rele- relegated. And the rest of the country, the top four, they have a playoff, top four, they get into the Super League. How much? How fun would that be to watch? I'm in. It's already a Super League. That's basically college football. I mean, Tyler wow. and I were talking about it last. I mean, there's already like – it's only five to ten teams that are competing for a title anyway. So, yeah, I like that. So why, why don't I have them play each other for a, a league title? And then if you have one of those Boise states that come up once a year, well, the next year, guess what? Let's see what you can do against the mm-hmm. real boys for a full season, not to beat up on your people in your conference and then try to get into the playoffs. Then, then I think it removes all doubt and all the, the, the questions like, oh, this and that, let's expand this and that. No, you know what? You get your shake. Let's see what you got. I like it. I mean, like Jim said, it's kind of it's kind of rigged already, right? I mean, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, and like LSU if they get Joe Burrow. That's about it. That's about <laughs> it. And, and Georgia, you throw Georgia in there, but but like I said, I I think it it it, it removes that little bit of Cinderella story. Be like, okay, if you really want to step up to the big dogs, all right, let's play a big dog season. Yeah. But it also can get some new teams into that mix on a consistent basis. I like it. I it's like how it. College, it's how they're operating anyway. I mean, mm-hmm. these these schools are operating on a different level than the other schools they're competing against. Like Clemson and Wake Forest don't have the same recruiting budgets. They're not recruiting the same players. Why are they playing each other? Why is Vanderbilt playing Georgia? I mean, it's not comparable. So. I, I'm with it, man. I, it's it's where it's at, and the NCAA needs to wake up and realize this is what it is. And I, I think with now with that NIL stuff, and they're going to mm-hmm. have to start giving some of that pie. Well, guess what? Let's increase mm-hmm. the pie mm-hmm. 
And that's basically what the Super League was talking about. Hey, for us to be where we are, we got to spend a lot of money on players. And that's eating into our profit. So guess what? Let's look for a bigger profit center. So that's why, in my opinion, it's a no-brainer for those big schools. Let's increase. We're going to have to start paying these players to keep the level of talent in our system. Let's in, we got to find revenues on other way. And guess what? It's the Super League. Jim, do you get your Jim? Sorry, I talked to you enough, Jim. Uh, yeah, we're good. We're good. I, uh, yeah. Um, Doug, like this time of year, is it, do you get PTSD or do good memories play through your brain? Like, what do you, what, what do you think? I mean, you, you've been in this league for two decades. Like, what, it, it's the draft, it's a couple of days away. Like, what, what, what's going through your mind? Well, for, for us, and Jim can, can uh, attest, this is when it got fun. This is yeah. the fun time. The last week, what I wrote always, what we always used to say is I feel bad for those media types that got a report from the <laughs> national championship for four months till April of the same thing. All right. Well, who's going one. All right. Well, this year there's not a debate Two. Well, then that just got up when the Jets traded. So you just got to keep going and over and the, how many mock drafts can you do? It's just, it's, it, it's gotta be annoying, but for us, the work mm. was put in. So when you're talking about a week before the draft, we're talking about, hey, guys, let's come in. Just make sure everything is tightened. We haven't missed anything, but we were out of there by 2, 3 in the afternoon, and let's just relax. And it's just getting ready for game day. And anybody that's ever competed, you know, practice is the hard stuff, but game is – that's when it got fun. So we were excited for the fun that was about to tip off. Well, man, I, I know that we got a lot of Bills fans in here, so just uh, let her rip, guys. You want to hear me talk? No. I had a question, oh. if that's all right. Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, I just want to start off by congratulating Monis. Uh, looking at that graphic uh, with the picture of you in the background, re- hardly recognizable these days. You got your shit together, man. You dropped a hey. bunch of weight. You look <clears throat> that's great. That- that was a Buffalo 50, and Doug, Doug will tell you I got hired in 2013. Man, we got that. I got that job, and just I started eating in this city, and it was cold out, and I didn't know what to do, and I just was eating, and I would drink some beer, but I think, but it, it definitely. I saw that picture. My wife was like, she. I don't know if she, she didn't like it. She didn't like that picture. She didn't know me on that picture. My face was a little, little rounder, Doug. Did you did you tell him the story about the the Christmas party? <laughs> oh oh yeah, Eric Wood. This is a good one. So the first year when I put on all this weight, I did put on like fifty pounds. It, and I'm not lying. Doug will tell you, but but we show up at the Christmas party and you know we're all suited up and man, my suit was begging. Like it was, I, I buttoned it, but it wasn't. It it was barely lasting. And Eric Wood looked at me i walked in and he was like oh my god unbutton that thing it's gonna bust and i was like yeah you're right it was emb- it was embarrassing doug marone doug marone came into my office the one morning and you know i've known marone you know we worked together with the saints so i've known marone forever and marone came into me the one day and he was like hey you're getting fat he goes you're and then he said and he looked at me he goes you're a fat fuck <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I said, Coach, this is from Marone. Yeah, like, yeah like, exactly. the healthiest guy going. And I'm like, okay, I, I, you're right. I, I know I got to get this shit together. <laughs> Rex put on some weight in Buffalo. I mean, he wasn't yeah. the same Rex on the way out. Yeah. Well, he had that. He had that. So he and his brother had that surgery. And then, well, no, actually, I don't know if his brother did. Rex his did. His brother did. His yeah. brother did. Rex had it. 
and then he he ate through that thing he was but but that's a uh, that's a testament and i tell people it's a testament to the food in buffalo and I'm telling you it's it's uh, one of the best cities for food pound for pound that I, i've been in so sorry El. i'm sorry we cut off the, the guy that had the question and we just started talking i know i know i was sorry about that dan yeah my entire point wasn't just to hit on you jim i, did I know actually that's a, that <laughs> took that gut punch <laughs> so, yeah, gut punch that's, that's ironic but uh it, it, i had a question for you and you know jim was um uh you know involved as well but you know looking at those i, I think everybody's really talked the whole mcdermott draft to death and the mm-hmm. dynamic that was in play there so if you look back at those three drafts that you were uh leading prior to that you know you're looking at two head coaches two owners so many different dynamics and I, I promise you, I say this with all due respect. You look back at all three classes, they all sucked. And I'm wondering what... I'm not busting balls. It's, you know, it's just objective. But for somebody like you who you know comes from that background in Pittsburgh, you, you know what you're doing. And that's not up for debate. What? How do those different factors... Like, what throws you off with all those different people involved and it still ends up going haywire? Well, he... he the, you said it right there. In Pittsburgh, there's consistency. Consistency at the top, consistency at the coach, and consistency in the system. When every two years you're changing the system, you're, hey, I'm drafting for Marone and his system. And then guess what? Here comes Rex. Rex, those guys can't play for me. So then you're drafting for Rex and his system. McDermott comes in. Those guys don't fit my system. So yeah, they're going to suck because they're, they were drafted for different systems. Now, but if you look at it, the guys that we drafted, I think we still, between drafting and signing, we've had somebody with a Super Bowl ring since we've left. So those guys didn't suck. They just didn't fit the constant turnover of coaches and systems that we had because a lot of them are still playing. And like I said, help teams the Super Bowls. So that's, that's the, the answer, in my opinion. So Doug, Jim and Tyler, they often talk about guys who have been in the league forever and they're survivors and constantly can bounce around from organization to old boys network and everything. I got to hear from you. How did Russ Brandon achieve the level of notoriety, success, influence that he, that he did and is like, you know, pretty much hated by everybody in Buffalo. You might be, you might like him and you'd be the only one, but I got to hear a couple of good well, stories that weren't on the news. Well, no, no. Just listen. Look at it this way: if you look at it, just pure production, he kept Buffalo Bills a viable NFL franchise in the city of Buffalo when they hadn't won a playoff game for 17 years. He was still selling out, still getting commercial and, and deals, and then he, at the time, presided over a sale of a team in the bottom third of the league population wise, no fortune 500 companies and got the highest sale price for a team at that time. So what you feel about him personally, you can say it, but when you look at his production, that guy was one of the main reasons that you still have Buffalo bills in Buffalo. So you got to take a step back and look at it that way. And I just look at his production, you know, as a businessman and what he did for the commercial deals and and the, 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 the revenue he brought in for, Ralph Wilson and the Pagulas. I mean, you, 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 I think you got to tip your hat to the guy because if, you, if he wasn't there, I don't know if it was possible that that sell that goes to the Pagulas and you still have the Buffalo Bills. It may be the Toronto Bills. It may be wherever. It may be the, the who, who knows who could have bought that. So, 
Oh, we, know who's, we know who's going to yeah. buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, again, off outside the building, personally, you guys could say it, but as a fan for the Bills, I think some everybody should say, you know what? The guy did what he was supposed to do. That is wild when you really think about it. I mean, the team yeah. is losing for two decades in this small market with a stadium aging like it's aging yeah. and and they stay i mean it's um that was always the fear with everybody i remember what that rumor went around that ralph died i don't know it might have been like 13 do you guys remember that it was like it ended up being false but like right then before terry bugle is even in the picture everybody was like oh my god we just lost the bills the city just lost the mm-hmm. bills um so there there was some glue behind the scenes kind of right you know his downfall was his downfall and we kind of all know what that was but uh Hey, we're all human. I mean, yeah. <laughs> said that there's only one person who walked the earth that didn't sin. So I, I'm yeah. careful on judging people. The guy last week had no problem. <laughs> <laughs> who, who was on oh. last week? I missed it. Richie. Oh, oh Richie. Richie. Oh, what'd you say? Let me ask you this. I want to know what Richie say about me. Did, I'm trying to remember. He, I mean, he he had only great things to say, really, from what I remember oh, about okay. Buffalo. Yeah, yeah. 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 a lot of wreck stuff. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Um, Doug, I, I mean, and please interrupt me whenever anybody wants to just jump in. I know uh, Bill's got a question too, but like just to backtrack to, you know, I think it's good to let people know here in this setting, like, so you, when you took over in thirteen. I mean, I, I know we've talked about it on the podcast a little bit, but, you know, unfairly here in Buffalo, I feel like everybody associates you with the quarterback you inherited. Like, I mean, you take over in May right after EJ yeah. Manuel's drafted. I mean, you're too nice of a guy. Like, I, your grade on EJ was what it was, but, like, it, you know, it, it's not necessarily your pick, and everybody kind of assumed it was, right? I mean, what, what was that like when, when you take over and then one of your first phone calls is to Jim – and then you're going in your first season because it was, it's not how you see a lot of GMs take over uh, football teams initially. Well, no, it's, it's one of those things where when you, when you replay it in your mind, there were some, some hints that I just didn't pick up on. And, and buddy was, we knew he wasn't going to be here long. I just thought, especially with when he picked EJ, he wanted to see that come to fruition because he used to always say, I'm going to, before I leave, I'm going to get, buffalo franchise quarterback and that was one of the lessons i did learn from him because he did say that out into the public and he kind of forced the issue and if he wasn't and now let's say if he wasn't looking to step away right away i don't know if he would have tried to force the issue with ej or a quarterback in that draft and it was unbeknownst to me he was like like i said he was going to step away after the draft so me I was just really hitting my stride being his assistant GM, director of player personnel. I thought we were doing some good things because the rest of that draft I thought was really good with Woods and Kiko and stuff like that. So we're like, okay, we're getting a scouting system kind of the way I, we would want it and everybody's falling in line. So I'm focused on next year and thinking about that. And then Russ comes in and he says, hey, buddy, stepping away. <laughs> Be ready for a news conference the next day. And for me, it's just, it's, I'm, I'll give you a background. I grew up a military kid. My dad went to army, went to, uh, he went to the university, um, the military academy, West Point. 
went to Vietnam, blah, blah, blah. So his whole thing was when you chain of command, when, some, when an officer tells you something to do, you focus on that task. You don't ask why, what happened to get there, whatever. So when he said that, my immediate focus is, okay, Jim, guess what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Let's start figuring. So it was, I didn't really sit back and celebrate or think about it because also that job is so enormous. And I used to tell everybody, you could get overwhelmed thinking about the enormity of the job and what it entails and what it consists and what is on the line. So I instead just focused on the task at hand and every day, okay, what do we have to accomplish today? What do we have to accomplish today? What's the long-term goal and putting a strategic plan together for my tenure as the GM and not taking a step back and saying, whoa, I'm the GM. Because again, that can be pretty overwhelming. And then that starts clouding your, your judgment and everything. You gotta be disciplined. And I learned that from my dad and just focus. And then uh, like when people I know ask, oh, this guy got fired, what'd you think? I was so focused on when Rex, when Rex got fired or when Marone stepped away, it was, I didn't give myself time to think about, oh, what happened? It's like, okay, what's our next step we got to get a coaching list together we got to interview coaches we got to do this 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 and that i'm just always looking forward about okay let's let's solve this problem or let's make this a better situation than really focusing on the negative or the or the super positive let me say there's both ends of that spectrum hey Kai, can i interrupt you for a second floor is yours dustin what kind of guy was Russ brandon doug really what kind of guy was Russ Brandon? Was he as bad as the Buffalo media makes him out to be? I, I don't think so. I can't say anything because if it wasn't for Russ Brandon, I wouldn't have been able to achieve the highest position in my profession and be able to say I was a GM of a really great franchise, meet a lot of people like Tyler, like I'll, I like Jim Monas. And it's for me, again, the way he treated me, I can only judge people in the way they treat me. And he's always treated me fairly with the utmost respect and professionally and has been good to myself and my family. So again, that's how he treated me, how he interacts and treats other people. I can't say I ever saw anybody where he didn't treat them professionally, but I haven't been in a lot of settings like a lot of other people have. How about you, Kim? What can you say about Russ? Same as Doug. Russ was always great to me. Um, I don't have anything bad to say. You know, we were all tight, and Russ was Russ was, Russ was always first class. He treated all the everybody first class in the organization. He really tried to. You know, you got to separate personal and, and business. And you know, business. Russ was unbelievable. You know, personal. We all have stuff that happens, and you, you read about it, and you make your own judgments personal. But Russ, as far as he treated us, was all first class, and he always cared about the players. He really wanted the players to have a good experience in Buffalo. He loves Western New York. He loves Buffalo. So what was, I, 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 go ahead. Yeah, what was it like then when you guys weren't with Doug? You may have been, but or uh, Kim, you may have been. But what was it like when when uh, you found out that Russ Brandon had stepped away uh, from the Bills organization? Right? technically forked out yeah yeah it's it's one of those things where i wasn't there but uh, you, you never you never like to see someone lose their profession or lose their job especially someone that had put his heart and soul not only to that team but to, to, to that community and he was so entrenched in that community and for the way it happened 
it's I'm assuming it's probably really tough for him to be in that <clears throat> community, especially with his family and his kids and everything. So <clears throat> it, there, there's no winner in that situation. And it, it was just a bad situation. You, you, you <clears throat> felt for not only him, but for his family. Hey, Doug, uh, just, yeah. I'm an English guy, lives up here in Toronto. So firstly, moving the bills to Toronto would have been a disaster. I want to get that out there. I'm pretty, pretty sure you guys would appreciate that. Secondly, just want to, um, obviously, I grew up with football, like the round type of football that you got, You said you're kind of getting into mm -hmm. now with uh, investment group. So I just want to kind of understand what, uh, from your perspective, what, what transferable skills have you got from being a GM that lend themselves to kind of, yeah, the, uh, the beautiful version of the game? Well, that's the name of our group. Uh, of our group is the Beautiful Game Group. So, for me, being and the one thing I learned from the transition in ownership and being in an ownership around ownership group like the Steelers is the successful business owners that make their transition to sports are very few and far between in the short term. They have such a steep learning curve because they think that the business world can transfer to the sports world. And it's a totally different animal. So though it may be a different sport, as long as I'm not evaluating players, I think the transferable skills of setting the trajectory of an organization, setting the philosophy and setting the vision from ownership down, that permeates through the whole organization. And if you set it from the top, and Monish, you can tell when the Bills got finally on the right track is when we sat down before we went to hire McDermott and said, what do you, we want the Bills to look like and represent not only on the field and off the field. And we sketched that out. And this is the type of man we need to lead that type. So when you do that, every time, if you put it in the hands of a GM or a coach and you pick the wrong one, you have to bring someone else in and then they have to reboot everything. So you're always spinning your wheels. But if it's set from the top, you hire everybody and everybody falls in line. And if you happen to make a bad hire, which no one's, you can't hit hundred percent. Like yeah. I always say, you eat four out of 10 in baseball and you're in the hall of fame. So if you make a bad hire, be it the head coach or the GM, the rest of the, the culture is already set there. You just plug someone else in that fits that and, and, falls in line with that culture. And that's what happens in Pittsburgh. That's why they only have three coaches since 69. Everything's set from ownership in the top. So that's why I think it's transferable to any sport in the world is setting that vision, the culture, and the strategic plan from ownership down and then finding the right people to fill that, that roadmap that you set. But the, the only difference is you need someone that knows hockey to draft the hockey players or evaluate the hockey players or identify someone that knows soccer or European football to do that. That's the only difference, but everything else I think is transferable. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the vision and the strategy from the top is really important. I just, I'm thrilled to hear what you're doing and look forward to seeing which team it is you're trying to acquire. <laughs> I, hey, I got an NDA. I'll send it to you. <laughs> <laughs> all, all in good time. When it's all public, let us know. Right? I got you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate your time. I got a, just a funny personal story to share that I think you, Doug, and Jim will enjoy. I was Chris Brown's spring intern for the spring of 2015, and he had to go out of town for the draft. So I was Chris Brown and was supposed to ask questions, but was too nervous to ask anything. And as the draft went on, 
you were getting in gym, were getting kind of peppered, just things were too critical and not enough about the players that you were selecting. So it got to the seventh round and I'm like, I think it's my chance to finally ask a question. I asked about Des Lewis and a look, I was relieved to ask a question and Doug, I think you were even more relieved to actually talk about a player that you select right. how long he's been on your radar for. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Jim. That's one of well, your favorites. Jim. Oh, I remember that. Cause that was Des Lewis was because I, I was looking at you, Bill, like why? Okay. Um, Des Lewis was only because we didn't take uh, Lyle Collins from LSU. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That was the whole, I mean, we were, we were ready to take, we were ready to do it. I mean, it was just, we were new, the Pagola, you know, we were just getting it. This our first draft with the Pagolas and they were kind of looking at us like, is this guy going to go to jail? Did he murder somebody? Did he, right. I mean, it was serious. And it, you couldn't, we did everything we could that we talked about on the podcast. We did everything we could to confirm that Collins wasn't, you know, and, and you couldn't find anybody that said anything bad about Collins. And obviously it worked out, but yeah, we took Des Lewis as a, just a, he was going to be our top prime receiver free agent. He was a big guy. We just wanted some size at the position. We had Woods, we had Marquise, we had other guys, Sammy. We just wanted to get some big guy. He, he played well at the senior bowl and, and did some things. Our scouts liked him. We liked him. At the end of the day, he wasn't good enough. But um, yeah, that's how crazy the draft goes, though. I mean, we were sitting there considering Collins, who would be probably still starting for the Bills right now. Yes. And Des Lewis, who flamed out quick. So that, that's the yeah. NFL draft. Yeah. Someone I actually wrote, this will be a good question, and probably for everybody. Someone asked me the other day, what would you consider a successful draft? And my answer was between your draft choices, between how many draft choices you have and the, and the undrafted free agents, you usually have a class between 19 and 25 people, mm-hmm. players. Mm-hmm. And my thought process mm-hmm. is a successful draft are to come out of there with three starters. So I was going to say three. I was going to say three. Three contributors, be it yep. special teams backup or uh, a starting nickel or a starting slot or something like this. So if you can get six people that help you win games, that's a successful draft. And totally that equals agree. between like 33 to 38%. So, you know, and like I said, you hit 380 in baseball, people are really excited about you. And then, so it's, it's, it's a, t- it's a tough business. And especially this time of year, everybody's, Saying everybody feels good about it. We always said when people after the draft, how you feel about your draft? Everybody <laughs> better say great. Anybody that says no, not so good. You're gonna be like, wait a minute, what? You don't feel good about your draft? What? Now the other thing I, I, I we always used to talk about is when the media says, oh, that guy either got overdrafted or he got he was sliding and he's falling. No, he's falling in your eyes. But none of you guys have skin in the game because what mm-hmm. you say never comes back to affect your job status. So you can say, oh, he slid, slid, slid. No, he slid because you pumped him up that way. There's 30 teams, 32 teams that do this for a living and have to have their checks and their families depend on this. They see them the, the way that the NFL sees them. Now, not saying they're always right, obviously not, and not saying the media is always wrong, but when the media is right, they always push that, hey, pull that up. When they're wrong, they never say, what did I say last year or last week or whatever? I think they should start putting a score on on what the media says. I agree. A lot of bullshit out there right now. <laughs> Mock draft 19.0 is across the country. 
Hey, oh, oh, go ahead, Dustin. Sorry. No, you're okay. Sorry, Kyle. Um, Doug, can you, can you tell me or tell us, you and, you and Kimball, what is a crazy draft room, war room story that we don't know? There's got to be some kind of crazy trade. There's got to be something out there that happens somewhere. So, come on, guys. Spill the beans. I, I think I told you this one before, but when you're in the draft, you're in that room so long that I used to try to limit the, my liquid intake. So I wouldn't drink a lot of water or anything because you got to use the bathroom and you go out for five minutes, some call, there might be a call or for a trade or anything. You just never know. So I tried to limit. So this was might've been this. No, it was because I was in a suit and tie. It was the first day. So it was getting close to our pick, probably maybe two or three picks before us. And we got a call. And Jim Overdorf says, hey, we got a trade offer. So I go over to pick up the phone to, to get the trade offer. I say hello, and I get hit with one of the worst cramps I've ever had in oh, my I, life. I, I locked up. It was a full body lockup. And I just went down. And everybody's like, what's wrong? The trainers came over. I'm like, dude, I've got a cramp. And so I had to hand the phone to somebody. I, like, I took the phone. I yeah. took the phone. I, like, I remember it. Yeah. And I'm on the ground just rolling around. And we're looking. And I'm like, hopefully these cameras didn't see this. And I'm locked up. I'm seriously. I had to get Pedialyte and everything. I, I, I just oh, couldn't, I couldn't move. Everybody's laughing at me. I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. I just locked up. It was crazy. But that's that's a funny one right there. <laughs> wasn't that i think that was sam wasn't that the brown the trade with the browns yeah. yes yes yeah. yes yeah 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 so it was so between nerves and just just not trying to drink anything just to make sure because it was going to be one of those <laughs> I, about hey, I don't want to have to either use the bathroom myself or yeah. be in the bathroom when we're about to trade all of this for sammy oh, so man. i was like oh man yeah and everybody was just like what is going on here and then uh, there was another story when we were in the old uh, team meeting room, we used to have security guards outside the room. And then one, one uh, draft, I forget when it was, two or three guys just walked in the draft room like there was nothing going on. Our security guy went to the bathroom and there was two guys just sitting in the draft room. Like, I'm like, wait a minute, who are these guys? So we had, you know, I, we had to get people to go in there and kick them out. So yeah, it, there's some, some interesting stories. Did you ever find out who that was? Like, who were those two guys? Yeah, I never found out who it was. Actually, we did. We found out it, there was the draft party in the uh, in the uh, where, field house, indoor in the field house, yeah, yeah. and they said they took the wrong door <laughs> looking for the bathroom. But uh, it it basically had a sign out there: "Quiet draft in purpose, no entry." So they knew what they were doing. That's amazing. I mean, you got to give them credit. Maybe you just let oh. them hang out. You know, to, to yeah. work their way in there. Really quick, though, like on that, because you hit on the Sammy draft and, and me and Jim have talked about it on the podcast a, a little bit, man, take everybody inside that room, because I, I know that you wanted everybody to be on the same page. That's why the pick was Sammy, the trade up and the pick yeah. was Sammy. But I mean, you had Khalil Mack, you had Odell Beckham, Zach Martin. There's a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. Um, what was that whole process really like for you, Doug, to, to, to handle everybody's different opinions and you know feel free to say who like to because it's pretty well, interesting well like we said before is 
what we always wanted to do, especially in the first round, is to have a consensus on the pick for the team and what we need and have the least amount of questions on the players possible. And Sammy was the only one. Um, Khalil Mack at the time, for right or wrong reason, we had Mario and we had Jerry. So we're like, are we going to use another pick on a DN? Um, Odell Beckham, the offensive people thought he was too small and wasn't going to be a number one receiver. And we thought where we needed to be, which again, another lesson learned, if you have a doubt on a quarterback, then that means you need to have a plan to get another quarterback. So we were like, hey, we don't know about EJ, but let's surround him with a number one receiver. And at that time, everybody's like, yes, we think that's the best thing we need as an organization to try to get to the next level. And out of all of those, Evans, Mike Evans, the offensive guys thought they were going to be, he want was him. a slot only. They didn't, want, they didn't want him. They didn't want him. Slot only. We're like, we're not going to lose that high of a draft choice for a slot only guy that you're only going to pay maybe 30, 80% of the offensive snaps. We need a guy that's going to be on the field 100% of the time. And the number one guy, a bell cow, can be the face and uh, outlet for the quarterback. And through the whole draft process, everything came back to Sammy. And Sammy was, uh, I mean, if you go back, he was the number one receiver in that draft. And no one questioned his, his skill level and his hands or anything, his speed. Now, the injury bug has got him. And he's had, I mean, Tyler has talked about, you know, his makeup. But at that time, we thought this is what we needed to do to get where we were as an organization to get to where we wanted to be. And that was the consensus overall. Yes, we all agree. Yes, this is the guy that has the talent, merits the talent, fits our need, and is a consensus no-brainer for us as an offensive staff, defensive staff, and a personnel staff. And I think you've said it too, Doug. Like, you guys didn't really know, I guess, like, off the field – well, he was going no. with his brother getting involved in that RICO investigation. I mean, cousins, best friends, everybody's facing prison for most of their life. And he's drinking, he's partying, he's depressed. And he, did he, I mean, he, he told me like, he didn't really say anything to you guys. He wanted to keep it in, but did you see any signs? No, I mean, I didn't. Did you, Monas? I mean, no, even when, you, I, when Tyler broke that story, I dug We I remember Doug and I were like yeah. texting each other, like, what? Like, well, there was stuff we didn't – I mean, he wasn't – he would – I mean, every player – look, they all live their life how they live it. Maybe harder than others, but, man, that was – I mean, that was an eye-opener for us. We didn't know all that. And, and, and that, that should just – that should prove the point to fans all over the world and in any sport. Just because someone's very talented as an athlete in a profession doesn't mean they're not human and they don't have struggles. They don't have mental struggles, family struggles, finance, whatever. They're just like you and I. They just are very good and get gifted in a certain way. Just like there's a gifted doctor out there that's at home drinking and believes in UFOs. There's a, so what you do does not define who you are. And just because he was a talented athlete, that doesn't mean that he's going to have some struggles in life, whatever it is. Everybody does. So that's just one thing that I, I always – struggled with when fans start to look at a guy and say well he's a good athlete or he's a star football player basketball player but he's a jerk off well yeah there's a any sports team's a cross-section of of society 
So you're going to have good guys, bad guys, alcoholics, drug addicts, racists, mm-hmm. uh, homophobic people, xenophobic people. So you'll have that. So you shouldn't be surprised is my point. Man, that's so well put, Doug. I mean, they're human beings at the end of the day. And, and that's what really probably pisses me off more than anything with, with coverage today. It's it, We look at these guys as names we plug into a fantasy lineup or, you know, gambling. And, and it's just, you know, they're human beings. But anyways, yeah. I, I know we got a lot of new people in here. So if anybody has any questions, like just let her rip. Yeah, I have a question, actually. Uh, I wanted to start by saying, Doug, I respected your time as GM of the Bills, especially sometimes in dealing with media. I know a lot of us watching probably were like, man, how does he not just lose it when they ask him these questions and they nag him on these things? And and you always approached it with respect. And, and I really appreciated that as a fan. Um, but I wanted to ask you about free agency and your time as GM, uh, because, you know, the story goes over the years that nobody ever wanted to come to Buffalo and it didn't matter what you were offering contract wise or anything. The players just, you know, told their agents, I'm not going to Buffalo period. So I wanted to ask, was there in your time players that you were really targeting really high on said, this guy would be a great fit for this team called their agents or whatever. And they were just like, no, not coming to Buffalo. And what your approach was in general to try and woo these players and say, Hey, look, you can be part of this change and turn this organization into what we want it to be. So I'll start with this, that when I was assistant GM, we actually kind of flipped that script when we got Mario Williams. Now, Mario is Mario. That was a big name free agent signing. So that was one that we thought, okay, we're turning the tie. Now, when I, that was when uh, Buddy was the GM. But when I got to be a GM, my thought process was, we aren't one big free agent away from being a a contender. So let's get what we call dust settle free agents, free agents where you get a lot of value out of them. And our whole thought process was let's stack our team with unrestricted free agents. So when we go in the draft, we don't have a glaring need because when you have that glaring need, you start pushing everybody up and that's when you make a mistake. So we would find a bunch of value add free agents that if they, if we did, draft someone in that position their cap hit wasn't obtrusive to us and they could be backups and special teams players so they still brought value to us at a nice cap number so that was our philosophy and I think Jim you can tell them about that that year I think was one of our best years of signing free agents ever when you had the Lorenzo Mm. Alexanders and all those guys I mean that I mean I thought that that and that solidified the thought process is Unless you get to that point where you you think you're one player away from winning the Super Bowl or getting to the Super Bowl, get these value add guys. No, Doug. Doug actually taught me a lot about the free agency stuff and the pro side of it because that's where he cut his teeth a lot in in Pittsburgh. And for me, I was always on the college side in New Orleans, so it was really cool to hear Doug talk about, hey, let's not get crazy on free agency. Let's get a let's get four or five really good players that can help us instead of one guy and we're going to spend all our money. And, and is that one guy going to help you? If it's not a quarterback and you don't have the quarterback, you're really not going to help your team. And that made a lot of sense to me. And I always thought we did. I actually really always thought we did a really good job in free agency. I mean, we take our beats on, you know, we take our hits on drafts and I don't think they were as bad as my man Dan said, but they, <laughs> they definitely, they definitely weren't great. We had our misses. 
But um, I mean, you look at some like Corey Graham's and Lorenzo's and, um, and then our, our last year, I mean, everybody, I mean, it was our last year, but we did run that free agency with Hyde and Poyer. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we did some good things and, and that last draft was our draft. I mean, I know Sean had final say, but we all know, Doug, I mean, I tell everybody he was there for about two months, three months. He didn't know any of those players that well. So mm-hmm. we, we get credit for that 17 draft as well. So I'm just saying we, it, it, it is amazing in free agency. Like the Patriots are going to be funny if they don't get a quarterback, which is really funny to say, but if they don't mm-hmm. find a quarterback, we'll see how this, all this crazy spending they did works out. Yeah. I mean, just to jump in, I'm not a Buffalo fan. I live in New England. So oh, know, there we go. When, I like when you mentioned the Patriots. Yeah. I had to chime in here, but I mean, I guess this question can go to Doug and Jim, is there a quarterback in this year's class where if you two were still in Buffalo, and you didn't have Josh Allen, you'd be willing to trade up for? I mean, is there a guy that I think a couple of years ago, Doug, you said in an interview that if you, you know, got an opportunity to be a GM again, you know, the first thing you do would, would be to find a franchise quarterback. So, you know, if, in your mind, is that guy in this class? And in, in my mind, I, I think there's definitely possibilities. And then with that position, you can, there's no hundred percent guarantee, but uh, obviously Lawrence is, is, looks like the real deal. I think I, I would uh, trade up for Wilson. I'd trade up, depending on what, where we are, if we had a vet guy or, or some a placeholder, I would definitely look at fields. And um, for me, uh, the Mac Jones guy would be somebody, he reminds me of an Andy Dalton type guy. That's going to get you to the playoffs, but are you wanting to get to the playoffs or are you wanting to get to the promised land? And then the guy from North Dakota State, that that would be a roll in the dice. I don't know if I'd be willing to give up an asset for that because of there's so many unknowns and he's got such a far way to go. Uh, if he fell to me, I, I think I would I would take him. But uh, those three I, I would definitely trade up for. What about you, Monas? You did more work on them than I have. Yeah, I'm, I'm all in on fields. I'm all in on fields. I love them. Yep, love them. I would do anything to get them. I don't get it. Uh, my hands are up at this point. Somebody's going to have to sh- tell me why. Why is he not? Why is he not in the consideration with Trevor Lawrence? I, and I'm not saying Trevor isn't more natural a little bit with the position and throwing the football. But, I mean, I can't get over that. We're, I, I just feel like people are overthinking this one on fields. I love him. Well, it's similar to Justin Herbert last year. You know, it's yeah. big. Every, everyone, you know, overanalyzed Herbert. Overan- I like that comparison. I like yeah. that comparison a lot. I think that's and, very fair. And that's what happens when you have so much time between <laughs> the end of the season and draft. Remember, Motus, we actually, I'll tell you a good story. We oh, actually yeah. got to a point where we told our scouts in the draft, I think it was what, either late March or early April, mm-hmm. everybody is cut off from going to pro days. You take a week off, take step back from everything, get this out of your head, reboot and come back and recharge because you start overanalyzing and second guessing yourself. And then that's when you get in trouble. Go with your gut decision and your gut feel on, I'd say in anything in life. And to go back to what you were talking about, about when I, told people that when I was talking about quarterback would be the number one priority. I say that I always thought if you had enough talent around that quarterback, it would make up for that quarterback's talent. But what I realized is when you have 21 talented players, they have to be playing 
100% on every game for 16 games to have a chance to get to where you want to go. When you have a quarterback, you just need one guy to be either 100 or 80%, and then you have a chance. So playing the odds, I'm, no, I'm not super – I like analytics, but I'm not an analytics major. I'm not a percentage – you know, a, a mathematician, but I'll take a chance of having one guy paying 80 to 100% for 16 games instead of 21 guys playing 80 to 100% for 16 games. I like the chances better. So that's, that's the explanation of behind what I was saying. Uh, Doug, I wanted to ask you about uh, uh, a few of what I would call what appeared to uh, uh, some people on the outside anyway as, you know, Rex Ryan signings. So this mm-hmm. would certainly be, you know, I.K. and Apolli. Mm-hmm. I would put Percy Harvin into that bucket. I wonder if Reggie Bush was in that bucket. And it was just so, I, I mean, is that the way it looked or, you know, any, any no. kind of, you know, stories underneath those? No, IK was definitely him. And yeah. when you're, when, when you're, so you have to play a delicate balance, especially once you get into the season that you want to support your coach mm. because they're mm. going to be the ones saying, Hey, we need this guy and I need them to be able to come and contribute. So IK, he knew him, he knew his system and it was a very intricate system. Now, Percy and Reggie, we thought they were done. We were all in on those guys because those were oh. dynamic playmakers. Definitely. Now, both of them were at the tail end of their careers, but we thought Reggie could be a return guy, punt return guy, and a third down back coming out of the backfield. And we thought Percy, he still had that explosive dynamic speed that anytime he touched the ball, he was a threat to score. Now, obviously with his migraines and everything that went off the field, he was, it was not a good signing, but physically and ability wise, we were all in on both of those. And that's the one thing I'll give about Rex. He had his favorites and he liked guys that he had a, a history with, but he did like talented players that were playmakers. I'll give him that. He, he wasn't afraid to go out there and say, this guy can be a game changer. I, I like him. Well, you said something interesting there though, you know, that the IK signing was because he knew the system. I mean, it so looked like a screw you to the Jets from outside, you know, he yeah. just punched Geno Smith in the mouth and, you know, and then it no, was, uh, yeah, I'll take him. Yeah. So yeah I mean, and, and, and absolutely. Yeah. And for, 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 for me, it's one of those things when you're developing a working relationship with someone that signing was besides the public relation hit, it was really a no consequence. It was an unconsequential signing in the That's grand sure. scheme of things, but it makes the coach feel like mm-hmm. you're on his side, you got his back and he's got a guy. Great coach. Take him. Right, right. Now, then that builds that trust, like, okay, this guy's not trying to one-up me or bite me on every move. So it's, it's, it's almost like a bat marriage. So you pick and choose your battles. And then when you get closer and closer, you're on that same page to keep stepping forward to take that relationship and the team to the next level. But you got to build some pr- trust. So you don't want to like, come on, coach. And there was a bunch, there was a, not a bunch, there was a few signings where everybody's like, why are we doing it? I was like, listen, it's just in the long run, it's no sweat off our back. It'll help us in the long run with the coaching staff saying that we're with them. Doug, I, I remember that IK signing. I mean, we weren't, you know, talking much at all. I don't think the, the, bill, the bills didn't really allow us to talk much at all back when I was on the beat. So that's another story. But, like, I think we were at Pittsburgh Pub. I was drinking beers with Fairburn and Rodak and – 
Tim Greg. And I remember you and Rex like went off to the side and we're talking about something serious. We're like, something's going on here. And then the next morning you guys sign IK. Like, do, do you remember, were you guys talking about that then and everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was just like, yeah, I mean, he, he loved it. And, and it, actually, when you talk to IK, IK he, he, was, he wasn't a bad guy. Yeah. Uh, now, and from what we knew scouting Gino, we're like, no, I could see that happen. <laughs> I, mean, I could definitely see that happen. So, so you're uh, saying he had it coming. Gino had it coming then. I'm just saying I could see it happen. I don't know if he had it coming, but knowing Gino, when I, we did the scouting on him <laughs> and listening to the to coach and IK, and he just kept, it was one of those, as I used to, my brother used to do to me, you put his hand in his front of his face and say, two inches, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm leaving it there for 10 minutes. Uh, you know, something may happen. Everybody doesn't, everybody has their breaking point. I love it. Very good. Thanks. Doug, I have a, an, a question, another question on scouting. So I was just listening uh, today, actually, to Eric Galco, who I know you worked with at Optimum. Well, I know he's with Optimum Scouting, but you worked yeah. with him at the XFL. I'm going, uh, baby. He, you, yeah. And he, um, he was talking about RPOs in particular and how when he's scouting quarterbacks, anytime he sees an RPO, he's not evaluating that play at all because it's easy to run and it doesn't translate to the NFL. You know, Ooh, I, I, I kind of two type of questions. One, um, do you like when you're looking at, at plays like that, do you not evaluate certain throws? And secondly, do you see the position changing? Because, you know, we used to have the, the statues back there, the quarterback statues that just weren't mobile. And now I think the the allure of someone like Trey Lance is that he can play outside the pocket and he can be mobile and he could maybe make those exciting plays. So do you see the position changing to, you know, more of run and pass for that, you know, specific quarterback specific position? Absolutely. And you got to look at, go all the way to high school. That's what these guys are doing. That's what they've been brought up doing. So why would you take a guy that's from high school, never been under center, running nothing but RPOs and try to change him after his muscle memory for 10 years is the, that type of game. That's why you had that little law of not having good quarterbacks because the, the pro game never adapted and like I used to say it used to be a trickle-down effect where the NFL set the systems and everything that goes on in the football ecosystem. Now it's, hey, these the, the high school and the college is seeping, is trickling up to the NFL. They have to change and they have to adapt to these quarterbacks because there's so much money involved and you don't have that time like you used to. Coaches and personnel people don't have that five, six-year time to set a guy on the bench for three or four years, let them learn how to be a under center, seven step drop quarterback. The pressure's too much from the media, from the ownership, and the money's too great. You don't have that time, so you have to learn to adapt. And that, that's why I look at Andy Reid. That's why he's so good. He's adapted his system, and a lot more teams are doing that. Now, going to the scouting side, you can evaluate something. The only thing I don't evaluate on RPO are those bubble screens and, and throws like that that are very easy. Now, if they can't consistently hit those, then so I'll, I, I have to change. So, yes, I do scout that. And the decision-making and ability to pull it, knowing, like I said, decision, know when to pull it, know when to give it, know when to hit the bubble screen, know when to fake the bubble screen, go down. There's a lot of things that you, you can pick up from those, uh, those RPOs. Uh, and I'll bounce it to Monas because, I mean, he's the quarterback guy for sure. 
No, I'm with. I I don't understand that by Eric at all. I'd, I'd like to talk to Eric about it because I know he's into it, but that makes no sense to me. I you evaluate the throws. Get get RPO out of your head. That's play action, right? We all know that it's mm-hmm. shotgun play action. So get that out of your head. If you can't run, the defense coordinator is not that worried about you in the shotgun or if you're under center. So to me, evaluate the throws that he's making from those RPOs because those can be hard throws. I like the guys that can do an RPO, a play fake under pressure, get a different arm angle and make a throw. That That's a big time player. So I think you do need to evaluate those. I'd be interested to hear why he thinks that's not something to evaluate. That's, that's the NFL now. Mm-hmm. And like you said, some of those swing passes are oh. very hard, especially from different angles and, and, and arm angles and also getting your feet and your, your hips. It's not, you got to be able to throw from different platforms, not only arm angles, but your base I'm, is not always going to be perfect. And can you make that throw uh, with some accuracy? I'm telling you right now, guys, about Josh Allen, and we've given him a lot of credit, and he, he should get all the credit, what he's done and improved on. But those little swing and bubble routes, sometimes those little just, you know, snap throw balls, he makes guys work. I mean, he throws dirt balls. He makes guys, and, and you got to get, those, those throws aren't as easy as they look. And, and these guys are playmakers. They, you need to hit them in stride. I, I can't tell you guys how much Drew Brees, when I was with the Saints, how important, you know, how he delivered the ball and where he put the ball, because he knows for every guy to make the play, you got to hit them in stride. They got to have that. So when, that's crazy to me to not evaluate RPOs. I, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what Eric says, but that's one thing I think Josh Allen can get better at. You know, we've been giving him a lot of credit, but I'd like to see him get better at hitting those guys, you know, right away in stride and let them do work. And that's one thing that, uh, you know, Monus, you did teach me, and, and, and it made so much sense. When you're at a practice watching a quarterback, the ball should never hit the ground. Oh, I should I, never I, hit the ground because it's in practice. And, and it's something that I've been around Ben Roethlisberger and, and some quarterbacks, but I never looked at it that way. But in practice, great quarterbacks, ball never hits the ground, unless it's a drop from the, from the receivers. And then that's on the receiver, but it, it should never hit the ground. When I went from Philly to New Orleans, and so I go from McNabb to Breeze, so obviously I'm lucky. But I, even at the New Orleans practices, I'm like looking around, like, is anybody watching what I'm watching? Like, are we understanding what we're watching right now? I mean, it was insane how 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 accurate and just how serious Breeze took every single throw. McNabb was a playmaker at the end of the day. You know, he really was. He he wasn't always precision, but man, I, it just took me to a whole other level like accuracy 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 basically ej castle and entire that quarterback competition and 15 is what you're telling me man that's why <laughs> yeah. we're that's yeah. one of the reasons we're here that's why we're sitting here i mean that's 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 true though tyler you're right i mean we all knew we met tyler we, we wanted tyrod because we because greg roman wanted matt castle i've talked about this on the mm-hmm. podcast we wanted tyrod rex wanted tyrod but we didn't really want Matt Castle. But at the end of the day, neither one was good enough. And, yes. and that, that's the maddening part of it. And that's why it's so nice to see the Bills took their shot and, and developed Josh. And But, man, that's, that is so true. I mean, that wasn't the answer either. We were, we, you know, we were just trying to get through the season with the best guy that we could, and Tyrod was. In that moment, I mean, we've talked about it, Jim. Like, are you guys kind of like, shit, like we should – 
Like, let's just completely uh, re like what what are we doing here? They got like I mean, Greg's pushing for Castle, obviously. I remember you guys had a big press conference, you know, with the helmets out and everything, and you still got EJ hanging, and you you got you bring in Tyrod, and he ends up starting, but it was kind of like, all right, let's bring this guy in because Castle might suck. But like it, yeah. man, that, that period there is kind of when there was a turning point because everything else on the roster was pretty good. I mean, you guys had a lot of talent. Well, yeah. and that, that's that's where you really and that's why you give credit to Sean McDermott. No one on that coaching staff has an agenda but to win. And you get in certain situations where people have agendas other than doing their job to the best of their ability to help the team win. That's where things, you, then that's where things can go really not south, but make things harder than it needs to be. It's hard to win in the NFL. It's even harder to make it to the playoffs, especially when in the division we were in and playing the team. Where, and if everybody doesn't have that same singular focus, it just makes it even harder. And, and you, you, after a while, I, as I always say, time reveals all. And after a while, you're saying, well, this guy, what he's trying to do is different than what we're all trying to do. So then you got to you got to do things to to subvert his decisiveness. And that's why Castle, that's why we traded him. Like we're not going to have this every time where this guy's trying to put somebody in a bad situation to look, make him look bad so he can get this guy in to make him what he wants out of the offense. So it just happens that way. Greg Roman is what we're talking about. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Greg Roman. Absolutely. But that's why, that's why Monas, not to cut you off. That's why we sit there and laugh now. He's with Lamar Jackson. We're like, wait a minute, you had that guy. You fought against that guy when you were here. I know. <laughs> we had Lamar's quarterbacks coach on here, Joshua Harris. I know a lot of people sitting here uh, remember that. Like, and it was pretty fascinating. I mean, he was biting his tongue, but he couldn't help himself a few times. And it, like, he's so frustrated with Greg Roman as the coach, which probably means Lamar's pretty damn frustrated too. Mm-hmm. All those receivers are frustrated. It's uh, it's crazy. Like, the guy that we think is this mobile quarterback guru, like, has hated mobile quarterbacks back to San Francisco pretty much. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. I'll never forget. I, tell, I told the story, but I remember Greg Roman, I remember what he said to us when we told him that, well, basically Rex was like, hey, Tyrod's going to start. And Greg Roman's like, Okay, well, I I made Kaepernick. I'll I'll make Tyrod too. I mean, it was like he was miserable about it. Mm-hmm. And we're like, you can't be excited about this guy. Like Tyrod Taylor, if you don't love Tyrod, there's something wrong with you. I mean, Damn. regardless what we say about can he win a Super Bowl or not, that's different. But as a competitor, as a leader, as a as a guy that's going to give you everything he's got as a playmaker, come on, that's ridiculous. Hey, I got to get off, but I need to ask everybody on here if anybody follows. Uh, UFC. I need to. I'm going to make a bet tomorrow night. Does Masvidal have a shot? Can I get anybody against no. this guy? Mm-hmm. No. No. Nope. All right. Not worth it. Hold me to that, but odds, no, I won't hold you to it. That's all right. I mean, the odds say that you know in that sport, it's even more harder to win a, a rematch when you lost than it is in boxing. So. Damn. I like that info. Yeah. No. Uh, I'm still going to take him to lose money, but hey, it was fun talking to everybody. That's a good spot. Thanks so much, everyone. That that was great. We Doug, we kept you way longer than uh, you said you had time Uh, for. So thanks so much, man. Thank you. Always a pleasure, fellas. Thank you all. Hey, everybody, enjoy the weekend. Talk soon. Take care. Thanks so much, guys.
You see it every day. The first dollar you earn from your first customer. Now it hangs on your wall at headquarters. A reminder of where you started and the promise of what's still to come. In part because you rely on Sandy Spring Bank to help you make the right choices on real estate and equipment loans, treasury management, and commercial services. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your business. Visit sandyspringbank.com business. Credit products offered by Sandy Spring Bank.